Welcome to horror school, kids. Cue the whimsical music. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. We're here. We're here, Jamie. How you doing? I'm not too bad, Sam. How are you? Whoa, hanging in there. Talking about Hatchet today, right? Jiminy Crickets, what a movie. Had you seen Hatchet before? No. <laughs> Another astonishing blow from below the belt. No, I hadn't seen this movie before. How the heck and the hoot nanny did you come across it? Uh, so Hatchet was one of those low-budget slasher films that just kind of broke through into... The mainstream, or not even the mainstream, but like the horror fandom. Mm -hmm. It was everywhere for a period of time. Before they made it, there was all this like buzz of this film Hatchet. They Mm -hmm. released like a teaser trailer that they had knocked together to try and get some funding. And so, yeah, it was just kind of everywhere. There was all like lots and lots of word of mouth about it. And then it came out and... um, was everywhere again it was it got it got a cinema release mm-hmm. uh, in the states it, it did huge runs at festivals around the world including fright fest in london and then spawned three sequels so far and it was well received right it seems to me based on everything i've read that slasher fans gore fans uh your run-of-the-mill everyday horror fan nobody like outright eviscerates this and says it's total garbage it's, a lot of people seem to have really positive things to say about it and a warm spot for it in their collection yeah no it was it was well received um i think part of it is how personable and accessible adam green is who is the director and writer and all all round lovely bloke just sort of has a real sort of punk rock sensibility to to it isn't one of these guys that charges people 15 bucks for a photo it's like come and have a chat yeah. and let's uh get to know each other a bit it's nice yeah, nice let's guy be humans yeah no not a transactional kind of fandom I, I respect that a lot it's one thing i don't really like about movie slash horror fandom in particular is this you know very like i'm out to make money out of talking to you and appearing you know it's yeah and often like a fucking tenuous uh appearance in a movie gets you like a 15 dollar autograph fee yeah absolutely (laughs) who is buying these things but yeah if you've got a guy who approaches movies in that kind of diy way he obviously comes from a world where you don't put a price tag on having a conversation with a fan which i think is very cool yeah i think i think it comes from the fact that he's a fan first as well yeah which um i think is is part of the reason why why Hatchet succeeds in the way it does is because it's come from the the brain of someone that has very clearly watched and loved slasher movies in the 80s and wanted to make something that was sort of a loving homage to that rather than just like, this is a way to make money. Yeah, and dragging it into, a, you know, 2006 is a fucking unique little landscape to bring a, a an old school slasher into, right? That's a pretty bold move and obviously a passion project. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, I think it was either a second or third film. I can't remember if Spiral came before this or after it. But his first movie was like a bit of a clerksy type buddy movie called Coffee and Donuts, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen. But he made, he was making a sitcom based on it, uh, which never really went anywhere. And then he ended up making another sitcom called Holliston that 
kind of touched on some of the same stuff, which I I, I liked Holliston. Yeah, so seven point three on IMDb, obviously like well received. Looks a little little cheesy for me. It's got D Snyder in it. Can't go wrong. It does have D Snyder in it. It also has Odorous Arongus as Adam's imaginary friend. Like it's it's real fun. I smell a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because it's got a laugh track and it's like I don't know, it feels like you never see like low budget sitcoms in that way. Mm-hmm. But it's good fun. Do you want to give us a hatchet synopsis, old Sammy boy? Yeah, I can try. So Hatchet starts in the uh, swamps of uh, Louisiana. Um, it opens with a pretty grisly, grisly couple of guys in a grisly old boat going down a grisly river trying to catch some grisly alligators. And one of them appears to be none other than Robert Englund. Pretty cool. Wasn't expecting that. Uh, these guys are brutally murdered, dispatched uh, pretty quickly. And then the, the movie has this kind of hard pivot to Mardi Gras, where in 2006, I picture the scene. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, it's a lot of um, terrible fashion choices. Boobs up in your face. Uh, people going nuts and boozing. And then we're introduced to the kind of the main cast, I guess. And the scene is that these uh, these crazy kids who are all in their 40s are out on the town and one of them is not having a great time. Uh, ben, played by, is that uh, Joel David Moore? Joel David Moore, yeah. From, from yep. Avatar not- and that one Katy Perry video. <laughs> yeah, teen heartthrob uh, Joel David Moore is bummed because he got dumped and he's moping. And his friend, played by the indomitable Dion Richmond, Marcus, is trying to cajole him into staying at Mardi Gras. Yeah. doesn't pan out that way. They end up going on a swamp tour, uh, a ghost-driven, a ghost-led, mm, a ghost-based <laughs> swamp tour <laughs> with a, a questionable host. And it's here that we unravel the tale of Victor Crowley, the, uh, I guess, the big bad of the movie. And as this tale unfolds, our protagonist and his merry band of fuckwits get marooned, lost, attacked, and ultimately picked off one by one by Victor Crowley. A lot of stuff happens in between. We should probably go through and add a little bit more flesh to the bones. But that's the gist of it, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I liked it. I want to come in hot and say I had a blast watching this. This was a popcorn munching. It was one of those movies that provoked strong reactions in almost every scene. Yeah. Positive to negative and everything in between. It doesn't fuck around in terms... It's not vanilla. It's not going to just sort of sit there and happen in front of you. You're going to have something to say the whole way through, I think. Yeah, absolutely. it's a party movie, right? It's uh, I've got sure. three buddies round. I've got a world of beers. We're going to have a great time with this. We'll yep. throw our cans at the screen when <laughs> Dion Richmond says anything. We'll cheer wildly every time Victor Crowley rips someone's head off. That's what it's here for. Absolutely. Right. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll get into it. Before we take a break, though, Sam, mm-hmm. tell the people how they can support the podcast. Oh, myriad ways to support this podcast. First of all, follow us on Instagram and you can see me throwing teacups into cups from a great distance. Teacups? Uh, <laughs> teacups into cups. Yeah, you heard me. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. <laughs> throwing tea bags into cups from a great distance. Uh, you can, you can, if you've got some fucking cash to spare, big shot, you can uh, join our Patreon for as little as a pound. Uh, you can become a bunker chud and join us in the wasteland. You can tell all your friends. That would be a that's a big one. That's free. Uh, the breath in your body is free. Take it outside and shout it from the rooftops. 
what the hell else can they do, Jamie? I mean, that's fine for now. That's fine. For tell now, your right? friends. Tell your Instagram followers. And tell us that you follow us on Instagram. Bye. Oh yeah, give us a rating or a review or something if you're feeling uh, feeling frisky. Why not tell us how you feel? Yeah, tap anything above four stars, and we'll be your pals. Damn right. Cool. Right, let's take a break. Oh, shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Jamie, an album whose artwork I hate, but whose music I love. Can you guess it? Uh, Back to the Party by Summer. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Fucking right. Uh, it's Better Whenever by Elway. Better Whenever. A superb album, I think. I used to think this album was underrated and then I looked at how much people listen to it and it turns out it's not underrated at all. People absolutely fucking love it. Uh, 2015... A Red Scare release. You ever heard this record? I don't know if I have, you know. I, I, I dabbled in Elway. Yeah. I, I want to say it was pre-2015. One of my favourite Red Scare bands. Uh, one of my favourite thinking persons punk rock bands. Got a lot of love for, for Elway and, and its members. Our Lady of the Thompson River, Albuquerque Low, Better Whenever. That's the strongest three starter tracks I think I've ever heard on a Red Scare record. It's an absolute... Bingo, bango, bongo, banger. you got to get out and get this record. Nice. Artwork sucks. It's a real shame. But everything else about it rips. And uh, back to the show. Holy shit, we're back. We are back. How was that for you? Lovely break. Had a mm. big swig of my drink. Oh, I, I forgot to. God damn it. I'll do it now. It's okay. No one knows. So, Hatchet sort of made its debut in 20, uh, 2006. Ultimately released to the wider world in 2007. Um, everything that I found said the budget is about 1.5 million, um, mm. but I think it's more than that. In the making of documentary, they bleep out every time anyone says the budget. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Um, but the bleep isn't long enough for someone to, to say 1.5. <laughs> so it's either 1 million or it's more. Yeah. It's not 0.5, and it's a single-syllable digit. <laughs> yeah. Could be 10. Could be 10. Could be 5. Should we list every single-syllable digit we can could think be six. of that we know? I can only count to 10, so... It could be anything um, apart I, from 7. Yeah, true. I mean, what in terms of va- value, what, what do you think you get value for money out of this movie? How, the look, the feel, the production value generally. I read a lot of people saying online, low-budget slasher, and I thought, do, do you know what? This didn't scream low budget to me <laughs> maybe i'm spoiled by uh the lowest of the low but i felt that this was pretty well executed if it's shoestring yeah i think the like if we, if we go with that 1.5 million budget maybe it was one in the beep and the 0.5 mm. was the marketing budget who knows mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you get your money's worth if it's if it's anything below three million you get your money's worth out of this i mean it looks pretty murky at times um but it's meant to right like that's part of the the sort of the sweaty horrible swampy feeling is that it it looks dark and dingy sometimes i agree yeah swampy scenes should be indefinite and you don't have to see every single tree in in high res you should you should be kind of looking closely and questioning did i see something move yeah i think it adds to it and the the thing where you really get your money's worth is in the, the special effects. Mm-hmm. Because 
they had a hard no CG rule. So everything is is practical and on set and looks incredible. Yeah, it's worth noting from the jump that this the the gore effects in this movie are top tier to say the least. Yeah, I think about um that woman getting her head sort of yanked <laughs> by the mouth. I think about that way way more often than I should. I mean, it's not just a great gore effect. It's a great shot. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful little set piece. It's really cleverly done. And that wasn't even my favourite. Like, there's so many good gore effects in this movie. Nothing sucks. Like, it's, you know, you know that he loves these kind of movies from how these effects are placed, the kind of mechanics of it, the way the camera moves around them and into them. This is like a, a love affair with gore that we're seeing play out on the screen. And it's it's all like... The kind of things that this guy's obviously thought about for years and is like, I can get these all into one movie. Let's fucking go. These are my top five all-time kills. And it's superb. Yeah, absolutely. I think with Adam Green, it's sort of like we talked about in the Wolfen episode with the, the sort of knowledgeable, young, hungry directors that were mm-hmm. making... The, I mean, in uh, the Wolfen episode, we're talking about John Landis and we're talking about Joe Dante, who, mm-hmm. you know, feel like elder statesmen at this point. But like... Adam Green takes that a step further. Like, he's such a fan. Yeah. Like, he's he's not like, oh, I wonder what lens uh, <laughs> they were using on Citizen Kane. He's like, yeah. fucking, this shit is the shit. So, like, yeah, yeah it's just, um, you can see that he's really excited about it. In the making of documentary, he's also, like, quite methodical with it. Like, he's right. got a real idea. Like, I don't think they had storyboards it was just all in his head and it was like wow you stand here the camera will be here the end of the shot will be here and that's just it's it's really cool to see and like for a a new director who's made i'm pretty sure spiral was after this because in the documentary they talk about auditioning joel david moore and joel david moore is in spiral so i would okay wouldn't imagine they would have auditioned the second time they worked together yeah maybe yeah i mean maybe but but yeah, so it's his second film, and his first film was one that they made on the mega cheap using gear that they borrowed from their day job, which was shooting promos for a local TV station. Amazing. Like, it's it's the dream, right? It's like... Yeah. It's it's sort of what you imagined adult life would be when you were 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, the story that you planned for yourself that <laughs> <Yeah>. never happened. <laughs> and I think what's great is that he doesn't, let his fandom slow him he doesn't let anything slow down his fandom i think is what i mean like he maybe at the detriment of a top quality film runs with the fandom yeah and that's more admirable to me than like you said you know sacrificing what you actually love and like to make something that's technically more accomplished i think there's more there's almost more artistry in saying i want to do a proper head twisting off a body effect I, I will sacrifice whatever it takes to get this into the movie to get this right because nobody else has yet. And then, you know, to play it out in glorious, gory Technicolor. I think it's a fucking feat of artistry, some of this gore. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not like a, you know, I'm no gore warlock, don't get me wrong, but I do love a well-executed gore effect and, and this movie is chock full of them. Yeah, I think the, the way that the tone of this movie sort of shifts from scene to scene makes you feel pretty uncomfortable and it makes those gore mm. effects like land more because for I would say 75% of the time you're in a raunchy comedy yep. you're in 
boat trip where the characters are on on a boat on the Louisiana swamp. And everyone talks to each other in that sort of mid-2000s uh, bawdy comedy kind of way. Yeah. But then when Victor Crowley shows up, nothing funny happens. He is just a terrifying <laughs> presence in the middle of their comedy movie. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way. It is really sort of painfully on the nose 2006 material, basically throughout, with this emergence of an 80s gore machine yeah. uh, just like barreling in every now and then. And that you're right, that is tonally pretty wild, but um, I think it works. I don't think... It just makes you beg for it more. Yeah. It's like, oh, shut these guys up by ripping their fucking heads off, please. And that is, that's part of the give and take of a movie like this, right? It's supposed to elicit that reaction. You're supposed to be annoyed by these dicks so that you crave their demise, yeah. you know? It's like real life. <laughs> <laughs> I read that uh, Green wanted to make a film about a slasher that didn't get the shit kicked out of them. Right. Which, nice. which you know, is cool. And also not like a creepy sort of stalk in the woods type slasher, but just one that would mm. run at you full pelt and jam a belt sander in your face or whatever. Like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And so much of it is is beautiful nonsense. Like the the origin story of Victor Crowley I actually find really endearing and Yeah, me too. I yeah, I really like a good slasher backstory. I'm a total sucker for knowing like where these people come from and what their you know, what their origin story is. And I think the story of this kid who's born hideously deformed on the bayou, whose dad is Kane Hodder, uh, <laughs> and who is kind of raised in isolation away from society for fear of, you know, everything that comes with being uh, born different. And then he's horrifically bullied by these other kids who end up setting his house on fire while he's locked inside and his dad's not there. And he ultimately is burning to death. And his dad runs home to save him. And this is where I fucking laugh my ass off. <laughs> He's ha trying to smash through the door with a hatchet and he accidentally hatchets his son in the face. <laughs> it's it's done with pathos in the movie, if you can believe it. It's quite sad. Yeah. But, oh boy, I was rolling around. <laughs> I love it. The idea of Kane Hodder just jamming a hatchet into his deformed child's face and killing him is... It's too good for words. I loved it. I think the urban legend element of this, the, the Victor Crowley bit, feels really lived in. Like, it feels like... Mm. And I think it's based on... Uh, very loosely based on an urban legend that Adam Green learned about when he was at camp, when he was, like, in his right. eight or something. And it was the, the legend of Hatchet Face. Don't go near that cabin or Hatchet Face will get you. And he's right. like okay, what will happen? And they were like, I don't know. That's all we've got. So he like wrote, <laughs> when he's eight, he like wrote the backstory of Hatchet Face and it was, Amazing. and it was the story of Victor Crowley. So now it's, I don't know, like if it's just me knowing that makes it feel more lived in or whether that's the fact that it's sort of just based on those nonsense urban legends that you would hear in your small town, which we've talked about in depth on the, the uh, the burning episode and on the the Patreon mm. episode about the the documentary Cropsy, it just feels it feels really lived in. It feels real, yeah, as real as it can when it's Kane Hodder in a big stupid mask running at people with belts. <laughs> That's it. But even from not knowing that story and that side of things, 
just the name Victor Crowley is so evocative of menace. Yeah. I don't know what it is. That combination of those words and those syllables, you feel like you've heard the name before. But even when you said it to me before we even did this, you you mentioned the name and I was like, that sounds really familiar. I'd never seen this movie. I never even heard of it. So there's something really strong in the, the kind of the naming conventions in this movie and how the characters are like crafted, I think, from from page to screen. It's not accidental that they have these names and they act in this this way. It's very cleverly done. And I think the idea of having this urban legend-based killer that isn't a creepy, quiet stalker type is is great because if you're going to have a creepy, quiet stalker type in the woods, you're going to have to do something pretty fucking spectacular to make it different or memorable. And I will I will go ahead and say that Victor Crowley is different and memorable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's got a lot going for him. I think so. One of the things that they were trying to do here was like create a new sort of slasher icon. Mm. Do you think that they succeeded then? Uh, to be honest, I don't. And only because of a few fatal flaws in execution. I think his entrance isn't quite, it's not quite there. His first scene, the way he kind of shambles and wobble runs out. And the it's just a strange shot for me. It doesn't fully showcase any of his best features, mm. if you get me. It's not the horror of his face or the magnitude of his strength. or it, It's just a slightly weird entrance that devalues the character a little bit for me. And that's personal preference. In terms of like standing the test of time, I don't think he's on screen enough really for that. And I don't think there's quite enough meat and potatoes to the to the actual on-screen action. You know, he doesn't have... He is essentially just a raging Hulk that destroys. Yeah. And I don't know how much longevity that has. But that's not to, that's not to take anything away from this movie in a bubble. Uh, he's he's the absolute show stealer of the whole movie. He's fun every second that he's on screen. He is original in a in a lot of ways and and unoriginal in all the ways that we crave. Yeah. You know, he's familiar in a lot of the ways that we actually want and expect from a movie like this. So even if there's no you know legacy villain coming out of this, which it sounds like there is, there's a ton of sequels. I just haven't seen them yet. I mean, you know, Halloween was supposed to be one movie, right? Yeah. Friday the 13th, supposed to be one movie. Jason doesn't become Jason for like fucking four films in. Yeah. So, you know, there's no there's no formula for this, really. I, I wouldn't be surprised to to watch all the Hatchet movies and enjoy them, to be honest. There's just something slightly disposable about it that doesn't quite, uh, you know, lodge in my tooth the way I'd like it to. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think, have there been any, like, say since Scream and Ghostface... Have there been any mm. sort of slashes that have really cut through? I guess uh, art from the Terrifier films, but that's much more recent. Like, yeah. I feel like no one has cut through from the, the year 2000 until, like I say, art from Terrifier. And art from Terrifier, I don't know if I'm just in a circle that, that knows and cares mm. or whether like whether that's actually cut through to the, to the mainstream. You could say the modern iteration of Pennywise, the Skarsgård Pennywise, possibly. Yeah, true. Yeah, I guess the way that you, the way that you figure out whether something is cut through is that you look at Normie Dickhead's Halloween costumes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or like I was, <laughs> I was thinking exactly that, and then I didn't have a wide enough frame of reference, so I was like, Necker toys, uh, <laughs> IP in video games. <laughs> I was like, there's got to be, you know. What are, what are we doing here? Uh, I think, yeah, more and more the older stuff gets gets recycled, remade, and, and brought back out, and less and less you see new iconic slasher killers. Yeah. I think that's, um, yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. I don't know why that is. I guess maybe 
mainstream audiences just got sick of it and were happy with the the, the big three or the top five or whatever. Yeah, well, I think um, like Hatchet was specifically made to sort of book that trend, and hmm. like whether it succeeds or not, it's it's definitely a noble goal. Oh god, yeah. When when it was released in America, I think the tagline is something like. It's not a sequel, it's not a remake, and it's not based on a Japanese film or something like that. That's amazing. That's so good. So, like, they're, they're setting their stall out pretty early. And I think yeah. a lot of people were really ready for that. A lot of people were really mm-hmm. ready for, I mean, whatever. Like, Jason X is great. I love Jason X. No argument. The the remakes, some of the remakes that came out in the, in the mid-2000s are perfectly fine. But, like, and all those Japanese films... Almost every single one of them is is a smasher. Yeah, and like I guess we were in a position where DVDs meant that you could license stuff from America a lot more easily than home video for whatever reason, or yeah, you could post a DVD through the post and it would get somewhere. Whereas if you tried to post a VHS through the post, fucking good luck, mate. Good luck, like <laughs> a having the the right fucking size letterbox. Yeah. B it not being shattered to shit Ooh. by the time it gets there. C good luck in not being nicked. Like there was a, a massive thing with like posties nicking every VHS that came through because it was supposed to be like the craziest porn on earth. Like <laughs> only VHS coming in the mail was porn. Uh, and we're this is a weird market, right? Two thousand six is DVD frenzy. Yeah. Everyone's going absolutely insane about DVDs at this point. The movie releases are are all changing. Like the the cinema format is all all up in the air. Nobody really knows where the industry is going for the next ten years. And you're right. Like to create a cult buzz, it's something that you can relatively easily achieve with a movie like this. I think because if you're clever and you push it in exactly the right way and say this is a new killer, this is a new story, but it's going to give you everything you love from the slasher genre and it's going to be perfect for your party. You're smashing it. Like, you're doing all the things you want to do to the max. Yeah. There was a lot of films in the 2000s that were throwbacky or even original classic feeling slasher type films that just maybe mm. didn't cut through or weren't marketed like that, so didn't feel like that. Like, you've got your wrong turns and your cabin fevers and your house of a thousand corpses. Mm-hmm. But even, like, stuff that no one was watching, like the Killjoy series or Monster Man or Satan's Little Helper... Mm-hmm. Even to a lesser extent, the Ginger Dead Man, which is you know stupid, but like these are all like <laughs> slashers that are, that are trying to develop new slasher type villains, and they're playing with those mm. classic slasher tropes and trying to do something that feels modern. Obviously, it's the two thousands, so now it looks like the most dated shit on earth. It's weird how stuff <laughs> yeah. from like two thousand two feels more dated than stuff from nineteen eighty one, but. Isn't that completely insane? I don't know if that's generational, like maybe if people in other generations feel the same. But when I watch anything with those like warpy, slidey, jarring, juddery cuts that all look like that fucking advert against, you know, digital piracy in a in a movie, I have just hide my face and cringe. <laughs> but I can deal with like everything from the 80s, you know? Yeah. I don't know why. It's so, I, like maybe it's because... The 80s stuff feels familiar to us because we grew up on it. Yeah, it gets a pass maybe more than... I don't know, though, because this, this is the period of time that we're a little bit after, maybe, but coming of age yeah. is that sort of window, right? So maybe everything's awkward and painful and weird in that whole period of our lives, and therefore 
uh, it all just hurts. I don't know. Well, 2006, I don't know, man. It's kind of late. I man. was 21 in 2006. Like, this is this is exactly who this market yeah. movie is marketing at. Yeah, that's a very good point. And it hit, right? I mean, how old were you when you saw it, did you say? Uh, I think I was a bit later. So it came out 2007. I think I probably grabbed mm. it on DVD maybe 2008, 2009. Yeah. I, I don't know if the comedy ever landed for me. No, there's so much promise. There's so many bits that are like, fuck, if you just done it a beat later, or if you just hadn't shown that one thing, it would have it would have hung on perfectly. Did, I mean, any of the comedy work, do you think? Any of it this, tickle the old funny bone? Um, I laughed out loud when when Victor Crowley coughed blood into Joel yeah. Moore's face. So good. <laughs> you wonder if he even knew that was coming when that happened. Yeah. His dying gasp is just this like gout of blood straight into his face after like a 10 second pause. It's really well done. There's what they do is they, they do the early noughties thing of fucking up every joke by overboiling it. They always add the unnecessary extra line. They always add the unnecessary visual cue after they've already sold the joke yeah. verbally. It's it's a it's a comic fucking claptrap. There's one really good bit where you find out that Ben has uh, overpaid for the boat trip and and it was the price was already annoying him and he overpays for it and then he finds out that the other girl paid less and he sells it with a look and then later on he brings it up again and he's like I want to know why I paid forty dollars and you're just like fuck if you just hadn't have said that the look would have been hilarious yeah. but he ruins it and I mean Marcus played by Dion Richmond. I think is is really funny. I think he's great in a lot of stuff in terms of like his approach to comedy. But he's just fed a load of bullshit lines in this movie, and I think he struggles with the material a bit. He is funny in this movie, but not he's not off the leash funny like you've seen him in some other movies. I feel like I've only seen him in uh, not another teen movie, right? And this is ostensibly the same performance. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about a career of typecasting. I mean, he is very similar in a lot of movies. And I saw him in, uh, he's he's in Scream 3 as Tyson Fox. Of course, yeah. I seem to remember him being in some genuinely good stuff. I just, it's it's not coming to mind right now. It's not it's like a ringing endorsement. National Lampoon's Van Wilder. I was he in Van pretty Wilder. Good, pretty good in Van Wilder. There's a movie called Trippin that he's pretty good in uh, from 99. Uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of it. But, you know, a staple in uh, the, the Cosby show. So there's that. I, I like the guy. He cracks me up in a lot of stuff. He just, you can you can almost see it in his face. He's like, fuck, do I really have to say this? And then he does. And it kind of sucks. So I, um, in the making of documentary, he his tone and cadence and way of speaking is exactly how it is on screen. Yeah. So like, I mean, to me, it feels really unnatural and jarring. But like, I guess yeah. that's just what it's like. So, you know, yeah. maybe he don't be an actor, but... Um... <laughs> he should do stand-up. He's got one of the most infectious smiles that I've ever seen in a human. Like, every time he smiles on screen, you're like, yeah, there it is. Give me more of that. He's <laughs> fucking adorable, and I like him in the in the role of, like, party animal bummed out friend who's trying to bust his body out of his shell. There's just not quite enough chemistry between the two of them for me. Yeah, You've got this absolute lanky beanpole mopey sloppy kind of hunchy guy and an absolute firecracker in Dion Richmond I think if you amp them up both of them a little bit more then you'd get more of that you know fire on screen but what you get is a slightly muted friendship of 
sort of based on moping and, yeah. and one-liners. If it was just amplified a little bit more, you'd have so much. You definitely don't really buy them as friends. <laughs> Not massively, no, to be honest. I don't think you buy any of them as friends. So you see his little friend group in the beginning. Yeah. Which is, I think it's like one of the ADs is the really sick drunk guy. And then Adam Green is right. the guy that's like, stop moping about Melissa or whatever. Yeah. A fucking bunch of douche canoes. Like, there's no one likable in that gang. Yeah. Uh, but like, also just, but why not try and make us believe in this friendship? Even if it's short-lived? I guess because it doesn't matter because it's like, you're going to get... Your arms ripped off. You're gonna get your guts ripped out. See you later, mate. Yeah, but it's like fucking. What have we talked about a million times? Yes, the prevailing wisdom is that you have to care about the characters to root for them, or to, or even at the other end of the spectrum to want them to die. But more than that, you, I think you have to be emotionally invested in their action on screen, not just their ending. You know, you have to be enjoying the time that they're on screen on some level. And again, that's why, you know, so many of these slashes fail is because somebody, some fucking exec, thought that the idea of a slasher was just to for everyone to be a dick and for everyone to get killed. And that's like assuming your audience is all psychopaths, you know, like that's why the burning is so amazing because you fucking, you kind of want everyone to live and you love everyone in that movie. So, so there was a little bit of that in this. These characters are likable to a certain extent. They're just talking fucking bollocks the whole time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like the humor doesn't land for me and it doesn't, it never feels real. It always feels like they're in an American Pie sequel. Yeah. And, and they've sort of wandered into this slaughterhouse. Yeah, the broy stuff not much fun. The the slightly cleverer, if I dare say, comedy is pretty fun. Like the topless bimbo girls, uh, Misty and Mary Beth. Uh, no, Mary Beth uh, is no the Mary, not Mary Beth. Girl, sorry, yeah. who's the other? There's Misty and G- is it Jenna? Let's say yes. Either way, Misty I think is hilarious when she says when she doesn't know nine one one. She's like, what's the number for 911? <laughs> I think some of that stuff was pretty funny. Um, a, joke that, quite... a joke that really landed for me is when they first got on the bus and the uh, Richard uh, Relay's character is like, oh, we got ourselves a filmmaker here. Have you made anything that we've seen? And he's like, and fucking Bill, Murray's, Bill Murray's brother is like, you ever seen Bayou Beavers? And he's like, yes. And his wife's like, no. And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it lands because it's it's a joke, right? And they don't explain it for five minutes afterwards. Yeah. When the the nine one one scene happens, she then goes on to say like, "Well, what if it has an area code?" and just like ruins it over and over and over. Like, just keep ruining the joke. But stuff like that is is nailed. And you would think, you know, is it Richard Real? Is that how you say his name? I thought it was like Relay or I don't know. Let's call him Richard Relay. Okay. Uh, I think a dude like that knows where a comedy beat is and he knows where to put his fucking foot and say the line. And he probably just said that joke ends there. Like it wouldn't surprise me if there was a few moments where the cast had to be like, this isn't funny unless we do this. Otherwise they're all just fucking puppets saying bad jokes the whole movie. Yeah. What do you think of Joel Murray as Shapiro and more generally? Superb. Absolutely fucking superb. He's... He's like you say. He's like Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd hybrid guy. Yeah. He's just uh, a total hoot from start to finish. I love the the idea of the character as well. So fucking dumb. Like a a marketing guy who pretends to be a movie producer to film topless chicks at Mardi Gras. Yeah, love him. <laughs> it's great. Love his death. 
love his life. I think he's a very strong presence in this movie. What do you think? I mean, I'm a big fan. He was in a movie yeah. called God Bless America that I love that was directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. Right. Which is like, modern world is so horrible, let's kill all the pop stars. It's, it's like, let's, it's like falling down, but in the mid-2000s. Right, okay. Uh, it's great fun. He's just got a face. He looks like Bill Murray's dad fucked Chris Farley's mum. Like... It could have happened. It could have happened. It could have been a thing. <laughs> I, yeah, he's got... Uh, I know we're obsessed with faces, but he has a great face. It's so interesting. And and in this, he's not sleazy. He's kind of cowardly. I mean, he is sleazy, but he doesn't over-egg the sleaze. Yeah. He could have got this so wrong. Do you know what I mean? This On paper, I bet this looked like a fucking nightmare role. But he brings a, you know, a touch of believability, a touch of class... And I think he's funny in this. Yeah. I think he he kind of carries some of those more lighthearted scenes. Yeah, I like the guy. I got nothing but nothing but love. What about Tamara Feldman as Mary Beth? How do you feel about her? <sighs> so hot. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to be trying not to objectify the performers in this movie, but I was distracted from the performance for a serious job. I think movie. she fucking nails it. She's like so she's good. Great. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's Calm down, Russo. The her, her her entry into the movie is the bus scene, right? She's moody on the back of the bus, and uh, Joel David Moore's Ben is trying to talk to her. And again, loads of scope for comedy there that he just kind of fluffs. Yeah. Like some of the lines are funny, but his delivery's bad, which is like the opposite of the rest of the problem with the movie. But she she's immediately brooding and gorgeous and mysterious and strong in her performance. Very well delivered lines, lots of great looks sort of just past the camera you know she really knows her way around a well-composed shot she's action savvy she's really good in those scenes she doesn't get annoying at all even though she's pretty screamy for a lot of the movie and i totally believe her character i like her storyline yeah i think she's pretty outstanding probably the best performance in the movie in my opinion i think she's from the other movie that they're making do you know i mean like there's right there's the yeah american pie boat trip movie that's happening here (laughs) And then there's the yeah. Victor Crowley slasher movie that's happening over there. And obviously she's she's not that outsider. So she's part of that movie. Yeah. And that performance, it's just, it's, if that performance wasn't in the movie, I think this movie might struggle. Yeah. If you just straight up replaced her or changed her to be a little bit funnier, or just like you say, had her play into the other side of this movie a bit more, you're losing its anchor in a certain way. Like she, she does really ground a lot of the other performances and she makes you want to... I don't know what the word is, really. She What she brings is that central binding force for the action, in my opinion, because she's pulling all of these dumb shit characters into that central plot thrust, mm. which is my my dad is missing. Is it her dad and her uncle are missing? Yeah, dad and her brother. Guys that get killed at the start. Yeah, that's it. And she, she needs to find them, and that's why she's out there, and her, her clever plan to get out there in the first place is to use this, like, fucking broke dick ghost tour that costs 30 bucks instead of renting a boat. I buy it straight away. I think it's great. Yeah. But she is, yeah, she takes the reins and runs from from the moment shit goes south on the river. I was also particularly impressed with Kane Hodder as Victor Crowley. Yeah. And also as Victor Crowley's dad. He really he him? really sells it in the Victor Crowley's dad scenes. Like he is Yeah. It's it's wild that he never gets to like act in movies mm. as a as a as anything more than like a big presence. Yeah. Because he, I mean, a lot he nailed of- it. Yeah. I mean, 
Friday the 13th fandom is a weird, murky place sometimes, and people genuinely worship or despise Kane Hodder, I think, in a lot of those circles. And the worship side, sometimes they'll just say things that are completely untrue, like, Kane Hodder's acting with his eyes is phenomenal. And you're like, no, it's not, because it's behind a mask, and he's just looking around. Uh, so he gets a lot of undue credit in some areas, but oh boy, like his stunt work's incredible. Yeah. His his phys his general physicality beyond like you know oh, the wistful look in his don't give me that he he is a great performer and I think he he obviously has acting chops I mean you've seen Jason goes to hell right he's he's a uh, like a marine or a guard or something in that and he knows how to de deliver a line he's a confident actor when he's out of a million layers of prosthetics yeah and yeah I, I've never seen him fuck up <laughs> the guy's an absolute juggernaut did you know that he was originally in talks to play Freddy Krueger. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when well, he was supposed to do the, the big Friday the 13th remake, I mean, there's so many, like, he was nearly this stories about guys like Kane Hodder and, uh, you know, it's total imagination fuel. But I was surprised that he was in this. I was surprised to see him in this at all. And I think he, you know, the movie is all the better for it. His his mannerisms and his way of moving just, you can kind of tell it's him straight away, which says a lot for a performer who's constantly invisible yeah. like, in terms of his actual face. I mean, there's probably not much I can say about his performance in this that hasn't already been said, but annihilates it. There aren't too many of those, like, hulking slasher-type actors that mm. whose names that we know and carry with us, and Kane Hodder is one of the few of them. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I also like Derek Mears. Yeah. Anyone else... Who cares, really? I love Dick Warlock. Yeah, it's it's a good name. Do you know, uh, I think it's his son, Billy Warlock, yeah. is a pivotal character in the first few seasons of Baywatch, which I fucking love. The guy's gorgeous. Yeah, Billy Warlock's in Society. Is he really? Yeah. Ah, sick. I like him a lot. I think he's great. Have you have you not seen Society? I have to get up the No, list. not yet. It's just, ugh, I've heard a lot about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I find it hard to watch a movie that I've heard a lot about at the best of times. And I've heard a lot of horrible things about that film. But it's on the fucking list. It's on the homework list. Well, maybe I'll put it on the actual, the proper list. Well, then I'll have to watch it. Then you'll have to watch it. <laughs> and we'll have to discuss. I feel Anything like... with Billy Warlock, you know. I feel like if you watch it, you'll be like, what's, what's all this then? What's what I'm yeah, talking what's the about? Hype about? Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I really enjoyed the Tony Todd uh, cameo in this. Yeah, he's re he he is earning that cameo paycheck. Like, yeah. So he's got a much bigger role in the sequel, right? And that was always the case, I think. So obviously, they they didn't know that they were going to make sequels. They didn't mm -hmm. know if it was going to be viable. But but Adam Green had the the trilogy plotted out from the before writing this so they went to tony todd and were basically like will you could you might you please uh the role is is much meatier in the sequel right but i think here the the cameo stuff in this movie mm. the robert england and the um tony todd stuff it's before that was literally fucking everywhere yeah like other movies before this would make reference to the characters mm -hmm. like in Scream where they reference Freddy Krueger and stuff. I think that again goes back to the the kind of fan that, that Adam Green is where it's mm -hmm. like I don't care if you know who this person is I just want to hang around with them for a few hours. Yeah. Which you know that's probably how I would be too. 
But oh, absolutely. Uh, you, but you're right. This is right at that turn of uh, you know the the weird little mini game that is cameos, where inviting people that you respect into movies for a cameo is way more the thing that's happening than oh, we need all these like legacy characters in to to tickle the nostalgia boxes. It's more about paying tribute to your heroes yeah. than it is about you know conjuring some weird whist about some you know movie that was never good in the first place like and these are well placed well executed it's kind of like the ragman cameos you know you got genuine rock stars doing bits yeah not as well but still you know for the same reasons i guarantee yeah absolutely i think obviously robert england is most well known for for freddy krueger and for the nightmare on elm street films but yeah. like i think the reference here is he was in a movie called eat alive Oh yeah, that Toby Toby Hooper directed in the seventies, yeah. where he gets eaten by an alligator or a crocodile. So there you go. Can't remember. And he says the immortal line that Tarantino later stole: "My name's Buck, and I'm here to fuck." Yeah. Reference to that, I think, maybe is is what they're going for. It's pretty great. I mean, one of my. How do you feel about this? Is this me being? completely fucked in the head or is this a problem almost definitely the movie's called the movie's called hatchet yeah it's a fucking axe yeah yeah i'm sorry (laughs) hate to be that guy why wouldn't you just have it be a hatchet because there was a hatchet in the beginning right in the in the the is it a hatchet that kane hodder hatchets in with i mean i don't know but let's say yes hmm interesting well, yeah, sure. All right. I mean, it gets a pass because axes are fucking cooler than hatchets. Yeah. And you can't call a movie axe. Be like the fucking deodorant. Yeah, true. Did you know that, speaking of hatchets, that Kane Hodder is a big juggalo? Shut the fuck up. He's got, yeah. I think he's got like a special, like personalized hatchet man, like logo no. guy. Wow. Like, right on. Yeah. That, that fits. That's great. That explains the goatee, maybe. Yeah. A lot of juggalos rocking that goatee. I mean, I like the Insane Clown Posse, so I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with, with him about it, but I bet few other people would either. Listen, of all the groups on Earth to attack, the Insane Clown Posse and the juggalos are near the bottom of my list. Yeah. Leave them the fuck alone. <laughs> They're having a good time. Leave them be. I've sort of fallen out with, with ICP ever since they they dropped that, oh, we're secretly Christians, it's all Christian stuff. So Yeah, that's hard to swallow, but pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> As an outsider, that's pretty hilarious. I don't buy it because, do you know, yeah. while they were singing songs like, what's it called, fucking Halls of Illusions, which is like, yeah, okay, this is about bad people getting their comeuppance. You're also yeah. writing songs like fucking Cotton Candy. It's about eating pussy. Right. Uh, which is a phrase that I don't even like saying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The phrase eating pussy, it just feels horrible. It's awful. Why is it eating? Nobody's eating anything. Nothing's getting eaten. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down, dude. If you're eating it, you're going too far. <laughs> I like, uh, there's a, a bit in the um, the book that uh, I'm reading at the moment that you recommended, the, the drive-in, where one of the characters at the beginning has eat pussy on one arm tattooed and then kick ass on the other and that's maybe where uh wheeler walker jr got the title for uh eating pussy and kicking ass (laughs) that great line at the end 
eating pussy sucking dick and kicking ass <laughs> this is uh this is a tangent this is a tangent so anyway eating pussy <laughs> So I read a review that compares Hatchet to an Itchy and Scratchy cartoon. Yep. <laughs> it's it's cartoonish for sure. Yeah. It's part of why I love it. It's it's such a silly goose time. It's not scary. Do you know what I mean? It's it's surprising and it has shock moments. There's some slightly eerie bits, but for the most part you're just fucking howling. Like it's a good old time from start to finish. Even the shit jokes just somehow play into the charm a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I don't find them funny, but I don't, I don't hate that they're there. Yeah. Let's go through some of the some of the violent bits and just sort of talk. Yeah, let's talk through. Let's it. Have a good old gorgasm. What's your? So you do you want to go chronologically or do you want to just? Yeah, let's go chronologically because. I mean, the, the first one's pretty boring, but when the guy gets his spine ripped out, he, scra- he screams, it hurts. Like, it hurts. okay, mate, does it hurt? Are you sure? It's only- I'm such a huge fan of that kind of crap. Like in uh, in Friday the 13th, where, uh, what's his name? The brother's getting killed in the basement and he's screaming, he's killing me. That's one of my favorite deaths ever. Just like dialogue during death scenes. Oh, fuck, I'm in. That might be my next top five. That's fantastic yeah i think the only time it's allowed is um is in day, uh, day of the dead where it's like choke on that choke on him yeah yeah if you've got like a you know a proper last words fuck you style death then yeah that works big time yeah I, I like this death scene it's like it looks like some kind of weird like fleshy plunger is going in and out of his back just ripping chunks of spine out i thought that was great yeah and then next it's uh richard real it yeah. gets hacked up with an axe, not a hatchet. I'm going controversial. My fave. Really? Yep. Not just because it's Richard Rillet, but because it comes out of nowhere and you don't expect this level of gore at this point. You expect him to get his throat slashed in that horrible, shitty way we've seen a million times. And instead, we <laughs> get his fucking shoulder just repeatedly hacked at and chopped until... Half of his torso, including an arm and a head, is just pulled off and thrown to one side. There's buckets of blood splashing up trees. He's screaming in his like absolutely adorable voice the whole time. You don't want him to die. He's already been alligator bit. And it's just, it, it ticks all my boxes. It's so over the top and it's so out of nowhere. It's not the best gore effect in the movie by a mile, but it's my favourite death. I think it's fucking great. What did you think when you first saw it? Like I'm so, I, think, I completely agree on all counts, but it's immediately upstaged by the by the mouth rip. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's like all time... I'm giggling just thinking about it. Like, it's gore classic. It's so incredible. It's what you used to do with your T-Rex toy when you were a kid. That's exactly what it is, right? Yeah, like I think so. Like, you're you're already, like... Out of your comfort zone because the Richard Real stuff is like, oh shit, didn't see this coming. Obviously, yeah. we know it's a slasher film, but like, I didn't see him immediately getting slashed. We were expecting yeah. more of a a stalky, slashy, hiding in the woods, always twenty feet behind sort of vibe. You're completely right. Yep. Uh, but then, so you get that, and you're like, fuck, that was violent. <laughs> and then seconds later, you're like, fuck, that was violent. <laughs> I didn't even know it was like possible to create that effect. 
It's, plus, you forget, it's a little old lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a middle-aged Midwestern woman. And he just fully, like, over the top of her head, fish hooks the roof of her mouth, grabs in the bottom jaw, and just fucking opens oh. her up. Like the, it's phenomenal. The logistics of, like, what happens is so gross. Yeah. But, like, the logistics of the special effect are amazing. Yeah, the spin... The spin shot around yeah. the body, so you don't see. So you see, first you see her real head and the hands, and then you never see the dummy head, right? That's the that's what's great. You don't get that split second where you're like, ah, oh, fucking, hell, that's a bad piece of crap dummy. You just start to see the rip. Yeah, it's like we, when we talked about uh, Night of Living Dead, the uh, Tom Savini one, and yeah. how some of those effects, like a, a director that is well versed in special effects, should know when to cut and when to not cut to to, to sell that action. Like, mm. Adam Green has been paying attention when he's been watching mm-hmm. all of the movies he's been watching and being like, okay, I would cut it here in order to make sure that you don't see the head or the, the effect. And it absolutely nails it. And it's like, that's why, I, I don't know, the, the effects in this movie are done by, what, John Carl Beekler, who is a classic effects guy, big... Yeah, big guy who's done who did loads and loads of things like Reanimator and one uh, one of the Friday Thirteenths, which I think yeah. he also directed. Um, yeah, I think it was, uh, was it seven. Yeah, no, it wasn't seven. It might have been six. Okay, uh, and like I think the Dream Child or one of those sort of late stage nightmares, like Deathstalker and stuff like that. And it's like these effects are almost like his cameo. Yeah, his like he also of, has a cameo. <laughs> well, he does also have a cameo as the yeah. as the hick on the little boat. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's like those moments and that sort of attention to detail that really that really makes it land for me. Because I totally agree. If if that, Tom that... Savini can't do it right, then what hope has <laughs> yeah. anyone got? Exactly, but it's it's the it's the rotate shot that blows my mind. Like I've never seen that done before, and definitely never seen it done well. It's just so good. A kill for the ages. Like, I mean, you must have seen other heads being ripped that ways. It's worth explaining to people, I guess. It's ripped on a horizontal axis. So it's, it's put your hands, if you're listening at home, put your right hand in your, in your uh, bottom jaw and your left hand in your top jaw. That's the, the pull notion that splits this head in half. And it just looks like a fucking can of ex- like expired dog food being opened on a hot day. Like it's dreadful. Yeah, it's the way the skin like sort of stretches and splits apart that really it's gets like me. Bubble gum. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like it's grim. It's like when you'd uh, like stretch out a, a wham bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh god, wham bar skin. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, have you seen that kill executed before? Does that spring to mind in any way? Um, is there one of those in the saw in, in the saws somewhere in the saws? Oh, where the machine flips it open. Yeah, yeah, not as cool. <sighs> Nobody's topping this. I don't think. No, there's, um, there's something about the the tactile nature of it, and it's somebody doing it. Like anyone, oh yeah, it would be horrible to jump into a, a wood chipper, but it would be much more horrible to be slowly bashed out with a butcher's knife until you're the same amount of pieces. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. There's something yeah. about the tactile nature of it. The fact that someone's physically doing that rather than it just being a machine yeah yeah i mean that that jesus like 
there's a lot of buckets of blood being, being thrown up trees in this movie and I have no problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's totally appropriate. So that's that's that kill. And holy crap, does that leave you knowing what you're dealing with in Victor Crowley, right? That's He's just laid out a pretty strong stall for uh, some grisly kills to follow. Yeah, and then is it Joel Murray that's next with his head twisted off? And that is, again, just perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. It's exactly what I would imagine that guy's head looking like if somebody twisted it off. Yeah. It's exploding with blood. There's bone poking through skin. Shit's ripping as it twists. The face looks real as fuck. Ah, absolute chef's kiss of a kill. Beautiful. And then then it's Misty or Jenna, I can't remember which one, with the belt sounded to the face. Yeah. Now, how are you feeling about this one? I was a bit underwhelmed. Yeah, it's it's a cool idea. Yeah. But it doesn't... It, it's not sold in the same way. And then ultimately she's killed by being impaled on a shovel handle, right? Yeah. Uh, which, you know... She's, she lurches around for a while with her face half belt sanded off, which I think looks cool. Yeah. It doesn't sell it to me. Also, I don't really understand how a belt sander is there. But I love that because I feel like part of the fun of Victor Crowley is he's just pulling this crap out of nowhere. <laughs> like, this, is yeah. just a, this is like a clearing in the woods about a hundred feet from his house. And you're right. This is just like an extension cable. Just like. <laughs> yeah. So funny. I love it. They're always trying to explain how uh, Jason Voorhees has these things that he kills people with. Like when he has the massive weed whacker, it's just a stupid expository scene where you see him finding it. And it's like, I don't give a fuck where he found it. I want to see him kill someone with it. Yeah. So I, I love that Victor Crowley just fucking, oh, look, a belt sander in the woods and goes for it. Adam Green has has form in that area as well. Like he, they do a short film every year for like Halloween. Okay, cool. And one year they made one called Driving Lessons, which is like a deleted scene from the original Halloween with right. Kane Hodder as J- Michael Myers, Michael, and yeah. um, with Joe David Moore as like his driving instructor. And it's like he's been he's on day release from the from the place being taught how to drive. Amazing. It's really funny. The, yeah, because there's that inexplicable driving scene. Where well, there's, 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 been... there's the scene where, where he escapes. And, yeah. And, and so, yeah, Dr. Loomis is like, somebody must have given him driving lessons because he was sure as hell driving last night. And he was sure as hell driving last night. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. What a concept. I love it. Yeah. It's one thing I like about the first couple of Halloween movies is just how much stuff fans and people have pulled out of it to expand. You know, like Ben Ben Tramer, the, the character that gets smashed. He's dressed up like Michael for some fucking reason. And he gets smashed by the car and bursts into flames. There's loads of references to Ben Tramer for the, Tramer for the rest of the movies. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I love stuff like that so much. Yeah, one of my favourite things about the Halloween movies is that people thought that my name was a reference to it, but it's just my name. What, Jamie Carruthers? Yeah, so Jamie, Daniel Harris's character, is adopted yeah. in Halloween 4, maybe oh, Halloween yeah. 5, by, by the Carruthers family. Oh yeah, of course. So yeah, people thought that my name was a reference, but it's just my name. I bet you just fucking silently lit a cigarette and let him carry on believing that, right? <laughs> no, but the, the, the Carruthers house was for sale a few years ago, Oof. and I did think... Wouldn't it be cool <laughs> to move into the Carruthers house? You could charge for autographs. <laughs> Literally, $15 a <laughs> photograph. Exactly. How much for a dick pic? Those are free. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. You don't even need the Patreon. 
Well, so what's next on our uh, grisly trip through Gortown? So, like in this section of the movie, it's they're not quite as spectacular as that as that opening bit. So then you get Parry Shen's character, the tour guide. Mm-hmm. He's he's ankle is shoveled off and then his head yeah. is shoveled off and it's a cool effect it's a good head shoveling yeah but like i don't know i feel like the, the waiting on these is wrong i don't do you, do you set your stall out it's hard to set your stall out so mm. so strong and then sort of inch back like do you think we should have ramped up with some of these like less good kills or less insane kills i like the chaos of it because okay. it just all flies at you and it feels kind of real you know it doesn't feel real but it's like (laughs) huge dramatic first kill insanely dramatic second kill wonderfully dramatic third kill and then some here's some shit laying around let's fucking get this done and move on kind of kills so the slow burn for me is a bit played out Uh, i mean there's loads of great slow burns happening every year in great horror movies with the the violence level escalating and the the menace and the threat escalating but i love the chaos here it's just like okay fucking head off with a shovel cool what's next like it just it's actually quite well paced for someone with my kind of tolerance for gore i I can't be just drenched in it the entire time like nicholas cage driving along uh in a car I, i need it to be you know, I need it to be a little bit more measured, and I think it, it works for me in that way. Yeah. Well, the next kill is off screen. That's uh, the blonde woman. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She gets it. She gets her organs uh, off, or her extremities. They get thrown at Dion Richmond, right? Oh, I completely forgot this kill. Sorry, <laughs> I well, don't like, have it in my notes. You don't see the kill, so like it's not okay. It doesn't technically count, but you see some of her bits. And then the the final kill that we see is yep. is Dion Richmond getting crushed from behind, sort of like Leatherface. Yeah. And then the good old fashioned both arms, foot behind the back, yank it off, pick yeah. him up and smash him against the tomb. Pretty magical. Yeah, that's great. I mean it showcases the strength of the killer. Yeah. You know, really powerful stuff. And you kind of want it by that point. You kind of want to see him go, and and he goes. <laughs> he, he definitely does. Any one of those things would have been a would have been a something that they would consider a successful kill in a Friday the Thirteenth sequel. Like oh, yeah, just absolutely. crush him. He's dead. Cool. Move on. Or the the arms and the foot yank his arms off. Like okay, yeah, that. Or pick him up and smash him against a a, a tomb. It's not a tomb, is it? What's it called? mausoleum right like any of those things individually would have been a perfectly fine kill so the fact that you get all three of them in a, in a row to the same person it's great exactly and and you know uh speaking of friday the 13th i owe you an apology because he did do the special effects in part seven there you go and they are my favorite you know visual effects out of all the friday the 13th movies i absolutely love that movie and i love the visual effects i love the jason of part seven, the new, uh, blood? new blood. Yeah. Yep. So you had that from the beginning. Yeah, this guy rips. He's fucking awesome. Like you said, Reanimator, part seven, From Beyond, Hatchet. Yeah. These are all incredibly memorable movies in terms of the, the visual effects. Not just gore. He's not like a one-trick pony. He's doing some great stuff in these films. I mean, that, that Jason bursting out of his mask when he's been waterlogged and rotting in the lake 
for all those years. It's played for laughs in a, in a lot of people's minds, I think. But I think it's fucking cool as shit. It looks amazing. Yeah, all the all the pineal gland stuff in From Beyond yeah. is so good. <laughs> From Beyond is so visually disturbing. I mean, Claire had to leave the room a couple of times when we watched that movie. <laughs> it was fucking rough hang. And for yeah, for that to come out of your mind, ugh, much respect. Superb. Yeah. I think like Love he's guy. he's one of those effects guys that's like up there with screaming my George and like like the where the the effects maybe aren't the best the most realistic things you'll ever see. But the, mm. the they show so much insane imagination and so much yeah. like otherworldly madness that you just have to you have to just hand it hand it to them. You got it. And I mean, I don't want to lay my stall out too hard here, but what the fuck are we here for if we're not here for imagination? Yeah. I'm here to see people's imagination played out on screen. That's the beauty and the fun of cinema and especially horror movies. I don't want to see people killed in incredibly realistic, lifelike ways because that's the sole reserve of psychopaths. I want to see stuff that has that edge where you know it's not real, but it's, it's... Come on, there. there's a real artistry to entertaining people with death. There's a serious craft there. And someone like, you know, someone like old Johnny Boy is absolutely smashing it out of the park every time for me. If it's imaginative, if it's got an edge of fun, if it reminds you you're alive, and if it gives you a kick, then you got it, bud. Yeah, like, Beautiful I, stuff. I think that there is a place for realistic killing on screen. Like, I, yeah. I enjoy it, but I also really enjoy this stuff. And I think... Yeah, it's it's a balance, right? Like you can't have, you can't live on torture porn alone. Which I fucking hate the phrase torture porn. Do you know what I mean? It's not porn. Why? It's not porn. <laughs> Porn's porn. Porn is porn. You can have torture. Torture. You can. There is torture porn. <laughs> yeah, and torture porn isn't. It feels like an inappropriate use of the phrase. <laughs> yeah, it does, and like it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think I hate porn in any context that isn't porn. Like, oh look at my right. look at this delicious sandwich I made. It's sandwich porn. Like, oh god, yeah, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, sandwich porn is. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, pretty cool, <laughs> but it ain't that. Yeah, it's the thing where they fuck or get fucked by toast. Um, yeah, I'm not. I completely agree. It's in live, laugh, love territory for me. It's like, oh, I've had two glasses of wine. This is something porn. Like, yeah. shut the fuck up, man. It's leave porn alone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Keep porn out of your bottomless brunch. Yeah, gore, <laughs> gore porn is not a thing and shouldn't really be a thing. Well, no. All right. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. What I'm trying to say is there was some pretty, pretty decent gore porn that was actual porn. Right. Around this time, so around the time that I guess the phrase torture porn came about, they were making some like genuine horror porn films. There was one okay. called Dawn of the Dead that right. was a zombie film. It was a lot of people getting fucked by zombies. Oy, oy, oy. But like after they fucked, they ate them. It was it was <laughs> it was intense. It was like it was it was like real porn films that had horror plots and horror makeup and yeah not like i don't know the avengers a triple x parody that can't even be asked with a name yeah 
That's silly. Yeah. I, I like porn parodies, but I don't necessarily like the sound of zombie porn. No. Well, there was... Joanna Angel made a couple. There was one called Dawn of the Head. <laughs> Dawn uh, of the Head. That's so good. Um, I mean, it, yeah. that's what I mean about creativity and imagination. Whatever you're doing, do it with creativity and imagination, and it will resonate. Whether you're making Dawn of the Head or Hatchet, like... <laughs> have some fucking fun and take some risks uh that's what i think real audiences respect the most yeah not you know not all that other crap i like I'll tell you what this, this wine is really good this is wine porn oh <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually it's pretty average um <laughs> but yeah like the i'm pretty sure that's exactly what adam green set out to do is to be like right. i want to make a film that's fun that's yeah. horrible and violent, but in a fun way because we don't see an awful lot of that anymore. The, I mean, the fact is that we do, that we did, even in two thousand five when they were shooting this. It's just not, yeah. not as many of them had cut through to the mainstream. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I would even say that Hatchet cut through to the mainstream, like beyond. I, I don't know. If you think of it in terms of like, do you know the band Eagles? They were on like Kimmel mm. or something. Nobody's ever yeah. heard of or seen them again outside of the UK DIY sort of post-punk scene. Sure. So, obviously, around the time that Hatchet was getting released, Adam Green was showing up on MTV and being interviewed on shows like on, at that level. But then, mm. I don't know, did it break the mainstream? I'm not sure if it did. I'm not gonna. I, I, I always fall foul of like using myself as a litmus test for this, but I never saw this in you know, video shops or didn't really even see it on the shelves in, you know, the places where I was buying movies and I'd never heard of it. So I'm not the world's most underground horror guy. I have like, you know, what most normal people might consider to be underground horror movie taste. But by your standard, I'm fucking like, have you seen Evil Dead? <laughs> <laughs> so I'd never heard of this movie. So I can't say it, that it broke through to my mainstream. Yeah. I think part of that might be down to the box art as well, which is just box art sucks. Yeah, like it's 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 doing something, but like not doing what it should. If you're if you're doing <laughs> the sort of throwbacky eighty slasher thing, then maybe go all the way with that. Yeah, I lean mean, into it way harder. Yeah, we're we're a few years away from like that sort of grindhouse, mm. like literal throwback aesthetic being applied to mm. modern movies. Yeah. Uh, and I think Hatchet might be part of the the thing that incited the the zeitgeist that allowed that sort of thing to happen. Yeah. But yeah, that's I think I feel like that's if it had a much more memorable cover. Like yeah. I've got a huge hatchet poster that's signed by Adam Green. No way. Which uh which I love and take with me everywhere. It's not on the wall because Kaz hates it. Um <laughs> Is it the cover? Yeah, it's just a it's just a big axe. Right. It's, that's fine for a poster, maybe, but I don't know. I think the the box art you should be thinking VHS with it, and then maybe yeah, you would have seen it in HMV or CEX or Music Zone or wherever you were getting your DVDs in two thousand seven, mm. and been like, okay, I'm not buying that, but at least it looks like something that I want to watch. Yeah, it just bones. It's just a bloody axe, like. <sighs> It's too much like those re-release Friday the 13th covers that end Ugh. up in all the streaming services. They're Ugh. fucking vile. Hate them. White background and a bloody implement of some kind. 
nah try again i like the typeface it looks a little bit history channel yeah <laughs> it's just it's not leaping out of me among movies like reanimator do you know what i mean even next to something like a chucky movie i'm not picking this up like must try harder must be more victor crowley or even just shack in the woods go with that angle you know something bayou-y i don't know is yeah. bayou-y a word probably not um <laughs> like the but, uh, you know, the teaser trailer that they made before they um like to help get them funding was basically yeah. like they, they took a bayou tour on a boat mm-hmm. and they just filmed the water and stuff and interspersed it with like almost like what's the 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 texas chainsaw massacre noise like the of like yeah yeah shots of victor crowley like photos still photos of victor crowley with the, nice. like a, a like a narration by a four-year-old child and it's the <laughs> creepiest <laughs> fucking thing it's great it's really good so cool and the child is just sort of telling the story of victor crowley and it's, yeah. and it's great and That's like sick. like i want that energy in the poster or in the in the yeah. box art like you gotta have the full package and yeah. this is an era where people were spending actual pretty like substantial chunks of their income buying entertainment in hard copy so don't shortchange them you know people are gonna pay like 16 pounds for this dvd like yeah. don't fuck them uh, and what's what's coming back in my mind over and over again about this movie is thinking about it through the the lens of the podcast. When I sit down to watch podcast movies, I actually like genuinely expect quality because I know you have amazing taste in a range of horror movies. But I didn't get quality from this movie and I still had such a good time watching it. It felt people use this phrase like that there's a movie on and you could still be on your phone. And I think fuck that yeah that's completely that's total bullshit but the sentiment there i guess is that someone like me who's a bit more you know i leave my phone in the other room but like i can watch this movie and and sort of zone out a little bit almost and just enjoy what's happening on the screen and not really think about it and that's refreshing like i really enjoy that as a as a movie experience because it's pure fun right that's that's simple good times so i enjoyed that movie on this level and if i was like saying whether or not it did its job i think it fucking worked overtime like it just nailed it can i tell you something that i really fucking hate about this movie and then we'll go to break and then we'll come back and wrap up do it when they get on the tour bus the the horror bus or whatever it's called yeah that fucking song that plays (laughs) that could do you remember it no but i (laughs) it's like if you made a super low budget rip off of the Goonies, and right. you were like, "Hey, Richard Band, can you write us a, a, a whimsical adventure song?" I've got thirty quid. What yeah, can I get? literally. <laughs> like and some of the music later, and in the, in the documentary, they talk about this, and it's it's a choice that they made because they wanted to try and trick people into thinking they were watching a whimsical fun movie, which right. I, I call bullshit on that because we've already seen two people die. One of them with their spine getting ripped out while shouting mm-hmm. it hurts. So, um, yeah. But like so the music later on is really good. The chase music, I, f- I find it really intense and like it's good. It's like orchestral. Feels like it's a bit of a budget orchestra, but like yep. if it, it's it's at least trying to be orchestral and not just like your synth shit. Sure. Which yeah. you know we we both love and there is a place yeah. for it, but um, but yeah. So 
that song on the tour bus. Do, do you remember it? <laughs> I, I don't remember it, but in my notes around this part of the movie, I've written, the music sucks. It's my only note. Um, but I, cha- I changed my opinion on that a little bit later on because I figured out what was happening. But uh, I mean, I guarantee I wrote that at that exact moment because it fits with where the note is. The the So are we saying that it's a deliberately poor piece of music because, I don't know, this is a stretch, because it's like a silly part of the movie that's supposed to lull us into a false sense of security, or is it just bad taste 2006? Like, it's meant to be good, but it's bad. <laughs> Say no more, buddy. <laughs> it's meant to be good, but it's meant to be sort of goofy and whimsical. Which right, okay. It is goofy and whimsical. It's meant to be good, but it's bad. <laughs> it's. It, uh, I mean, I'm not going to fight you on this. I like it. <laughs> it's very silly. It just sounds to me like. The sort of I went through a real big phase of watching like super low budget like kid movies from the mid two thousands because so many of them were directed by like fucking Jim Wynorski or like <laughs> yeah. Fred Olin Ray or whatever, and yeah. like seeing the seeing a movie where you know how much the director wants to shove a pair of tits in your face and isn't allowed <laughs> because the movie's for kids like it's it's there's just a bit of a joy to that. Um, and that's, that feels like music from one of those movies. Like, it's like Sandlot Kids or Beethoven or something. Like, like, like less, like shittier than that. Like <laughs> like like Mom's Out of Sight or whatever. Where, <laughs> oh, oh shit, Mom's just eating the cake batter that turns her invisible. Here's the <laughs> cue the whimsical music. <laughs> so explain to me why you don't like it. This sounds like it's your favourite shit. I mean, I like it in, in that context. And I... I guess I sort of like it here because it reminds me of all that shit. But like mm. my and I'm watching it for the podcast, and I know I'm gonna be talking about it, so it's it's yeah. interesting to be like, okay, this is the juxtaposition that they're trying to set up here. If I'm watching it for the first time in what, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I'm just yeah. like, what the fuck is with this music? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You had Marilyn Manson open the movie. You have Marilyn Manson close the movie. Yeah. And in the middle, you've got this whimsical nonsense. <laughs> Busy world of Richard Scarry in the middle. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's so, okay, all right. I feel like I'm forming a take here now. Um, I think it's actually hilarious. It's just not well executed. I think if you, the shots are weird to go with the music because it's just the bus driving through a little bleak part of the town. But if you had some internal shots of them like, talking or laughing or like even better just not talking and not laughing just staring Mm. out the window then you're on to something a little bit funnier and it's creating a bit more of an atmosphere but yeah i I, i'm an idiot i quite like that piece of music and i i like the idea of the placement so i'm gonna go team keep it in there was blatantly a vote at some point and (laughs) somebody lost (laughs) i think there was i think i think green fought for that wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Okay, right, let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll we'll summarize and give our final thoughts on a chat. Alright, see you in a minute. Do your stretches. Come on, man, does that thing even work? 
There's nothing out there. It's just dead air. So we're back. And we're going to finish off our little trip to the bayou. The Louisiana bayou. We're back. Have you ever been to Louisiana, Jamie? No, I've only been to Florida. Oh, yeah. And I've been to Newark Airport. On Beautiful the, place. On, on the way to Florida. <laughs> nice. It's one of, uh, of a small and hopefully dwindling number of US states that I have not yet visited. Nice. It's like that, Alaska, Hawaii, fucking Maine and New Hampshire, I think, are the only ones. Yeah, I'd love to go there, I think. It would be cool as shit. I assume it's exactly like this movie that you see a bunch of 2006 stringy titties and, like... Stringy titties? The tits aren't stringy. They're in, like, those little string... What are they called? Like a spaghetti strap vest top. Right, got you. And not in those as well. They're very much out a lot of the time. Hell of a lot of boobs in this movie. We need to, you know, small side note, chock full of boobos. Yeah. I feel like it's set in Louisiana and New Orleans and Mardi Gras specifically, just so there's an excuse to, to bang out a load of baps. Yeah, it could be. I also need to stop using the word boobos <laughs> for boobs because it actually means... You know the boils that you get from the bubonic plague? <laughs> They're called boobos. There's some like plaguey boobs in Cabin Fever, isn't there? Yeah. I, I always Cabin think Fever of um, Henrietta's boobs in Evil Dead when I think of plague boobs. I'm going to crop you out just saying I always think of Henrietta's boobs from <laughs> Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think about them a lot. I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> final thoughts on the movie Hatchet, Jamie. Let your... Mind unspool. Unburden yourself, my friend. Well, so, I mean, I love it. It is a great time. It's a director that that clearly knows what he's doing and making something that really sings to him, that he knows he's going to sing to other people because he's every woman or whatever. Like, he he's a horror fan, and so he knows what's going to work for other horror fans. Even the mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't work still works for me. Like like we've said, the comedy, I don't find almost any of it funny. But there's just something about the, the way that it f- slots in. It doesn't look amazing in terms of like mm. the style. It's got, a, it's got a grit to it. It's got like a, this was made by some mates over a weekend sort of look to it. Obviously it wasn't. It was, it had bleep million dollars behind it and <laughs> um like they, they filmed it on a on a ranch in fucking LA. But it has the quality of of something that's been sort of lovingly crafted. And I think it, it, I'm not saying it wasn't lovingly crafted, but it feels like a bunch of mates in a back garden over a summer, like making yeah. the movie that they want to make. And I think that's a real testament to like the the, the vibe that that it that it wants you to have and the and the the script and the 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 approach from the director and the writing and everything it's just like yeah this this feels like it's something that only you will get but i mean it did break through some level of the mainstream 
Um, so maybe you're not such a special little snowflake after all, Jamie. But but in a good way, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're not alone. Yeah, there are, there are exactly. thousands of other chumps just like you. Some <laughs> of them even chumpier, frankly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with absolutely everything you're saying. I think this is a wonderful piece of trash. It's undeniable which is almost annoying because there's so much about it that shouldn't work and that kind of doesn't work, but you're still rooting for it the whole way through. It feels yeah. like a real underdog movie. It feels like it comes from a place of pure love, of stuff that you love, and therefore you love it. And it's super simple, uh, but it's very well executed. I think it looks like a million bucks <laughs> in both ways. It looks like it was made for a million bucks, and it looks great to me. The in the interior stuff especially looks, looks great. Yeah. Exterior stuff you know, give and take, but there's a lot of really good of both. If I was going to be really, really hypercritical of the movie, I still wouldn't have an enormous amount to say that I haven't already said. It's just that some of the humour isn't really my cup of tea. Yeah. I think the gore is transcendently wonderful. Yeah. We get a great cast. We got a director who is who's making this for all the right reasons. And you, you walk away thinking, wow, that was great fun. Yeah. Another thing that annoys me, because I've sung this, the movie's praises so much, I feel I feel like I'm empowered to say the things that annoy me. And this is yeah. again the the music thing was a choice. I think this is a choice as well. When Victor Crowley is set on fire and he sort of lies down. Like just because you're on fire doesn't mean you can't get up. He just lies there until he's until he's, the last bit of fire goes out and he's like, "Okay, no more fire. I'm back, guys." <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Now that you mention it, that is strange. It's kind of a childlike way of dealing with fire. <laughs> yeah. Like, he doesn't even roll or anything. He's just lying there like, I'm on fire. Yeah. Um, which, you know, maybe, again, is a choice that they made as, as a bit of a a bit of a gag. A bit so, so you can have the, oh, is he dead? I mean, he's not dead. It's raining. Yeah. Feels like a bit of an in-joke almost. Yeah. Like, the rain puts the fire out so he gets up. He's not. He didn't burn to death. Like, that's incredibly simplistic, right? But yeah. kind of gets a pass. <laughs> I just think, like, yeah, this movie was made for me in 2006. Like, the guy who I was then. And, like, the guy that I am now. I don't know, like I said, I don't know if I ever really, if the, if the comedy ever really hit for me. I'm fucking hilarious, right? So, <laughs> in theory funny things should make me laugh but you know this one didn't i there's so much great teen comedy in the world in my opinion especially from this era era and before late 90s early noughties i think there's some genuinely hilarious and really well written teen comedy that's crafted by very funny people and this ain't it it's just not uh it's not well written comedy there's a few jokes that hit a specific humor type partly me <laughs> mm. but for the most part it's just kind of lame crass poorly executed bro humor so yeah i wonder uh, if like it, it if it does hit for other people this is what bums me out you gotta remember that a lot of people just fucking like a load of old garbage and were probably howling at some of these jokes i'd like to think that's not true but it definitely is <laughs> some people will have found this hysterical yeah well no we shouldn't slack that off really because people will have walked away with uh, overall a, an even more positive experience and a, a really pure kind of joy from this movie. But, I mean, objectively, it's not good comedy writing. But somehow it works. 
Have you watched any of the like more recent Kevin Smith movies? Yeah, I've watched nearly all of them, yeah. So, like, in Jay and Silent Bob reboot and in Clerks mm. 3, like, there's a real sense that since Smith has stepped away from the, the studio system, mm. nobody tells him no anymore. Yep. So it's like every single gag that he's ever thought of is in the movie. And, you know, much like Ticks, sometimes they can't all be winners. So, <laughs> yeah. When even your mates aren't telling you that something's not funny, though. Do you know what I mean? Like Yoga Hosers, I think, is bad every second from start to finish. There is nothing good in that movie. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, who, oy, who oy, wants oy. to see a spin-off of fucking Tusk? I love Tusk. I will go to the map for Tusk. I love seven Tusk. days out of seven. What I like about the origins of those movies is that I was listening to the podcast at the time, and when they were coming up with all the yeah, the, the you know, just baked and saying whatever they could think at the time, you know, saying dumb ideas for movies out loud, and I thought, wow, that would actually be really funny. But Yoga Hosers, woof, fucking what a miss! It might be, it might be the worst film I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, I've I've seen worse, but only because some people shouldn't be allowed to make films, and they are. Yeah. Like, uh, it's Neil, even worse Neil it's Breen. Smith, or, yeah. It, it took me four tries to get through that movie. Four. I don't think I've actually oh. seen it. Oh, God, dude, it fucking sucks. So bad. But if, if, if anyone wants to hear me talk about Tusk, um, I guested on an episode of Radio Gore Press um, and talked about Tusk with them for a bit. And it was, I want to fucking hear that. I'm going to go listen to that. It was good. <laughs> that it was, sounds great. It was good fun. Yeah, dude. So, Hatchet, I give it eight wax out of, out of ten for just sheer heart and enjoyment. It's, it's absolute. It's a joy. Yep. Agreed. I give it 230 Mardi Gras beads out of 400 boobs. I think it's it hits as much as it misses in terms of the general quality of the filmmaking. And yet, you have a blast from start to finish. Yeah, I, I can't take anything away from that. I think they've done their job and they've done it really well. And they gave me a great fucking 90 minutes or whatever it was. A good time. I agree. So thank you director guy whose name i've forgotten and all your friends adam green adam green thank you adam green and all your friends before we finally wrap up if we if we don't cover the sequels for the podcast Mm. would you seek them out and watch them anyway yeah i absolutely would i would be really worried that they were going to completely suck but uh I don't think I would even bother looking at the ratings or any of the, the criticism where I would just watch them because what's not to be excited about? Yeah. This killer returning, you know, an, another cast of dumbass teenagers. Maybe the writing gets better. Maybe it gets worse. Who knows? I'd like to see. Yeah, I mean, the sequel picks up from the very last shot. Hey, that's something we didn't talk about either. God, yeah, good point. I've completely forgotten about that. I texted you. Yeah. I, I thought I had a broken version of the movie i could not believe that was the ending it's it's so fucking brave right <laughs> what the fuck it stops mid-scene just in the middle of some action and then fires up marilyn manson i was like fuck i sat on the remote or something what <laughs> what happened it's like in a, in a in a low budget horror filmmaking world where you 
you think maybe you've got one shot at making a film yeah. and you set it up for a sequel that sort of clearly it i guess mm. like he's going for a leave and wanting more thing like you want to know yeah. what happens so if you want to know what happens you better give me another bleak million dollars so i can go <laughs> make the next one yeah it's a it's a tv cliffhanger trick and fucking works oh, absolutely son of a bitch works. absolutely works <laughs> Imagine you go. Imagine that in the cinema. You're gonna be, you're be turning around, looking at the projector, and be like, "It fucking broke!" Like, it, <laughs> it's, it's so clever. I really liked it. Yeah. So, and in the sequel, they pick up from that shot. Yeah. Cool. But Tamara Feldman is not in the movie. Bummer. They replace her with Daniel Harris, which you know. Okay. Fuck yeah. I think I think I read something that like he was going to cast Daniel Harris as uh, Mary Beth in in this movie, right. but then didn't want to be like, oh, I'm just casting all horror legend people. But then when Tamara uh, Felwyn didn't want to come back, he was like, "Fuck it, let's just go with Daniel Harris." Gotta love that attitude. Maybe a lesser director would have been bummed and would have, you know tried something stupid but yeah re- fucking replace her why not yeah why not replace her i love yeah i love like casting replacements when you're watching a tv show and the kid is just a different kid the next episode nobody yeah. fucking says anything it's like that's a completely different child i love that i think i love the opposite more like when they bring an actor back and they play a completely different character that's amazing what what does that happen in uh, it happens at Gilmore Girls a few times. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, Lara Flynn Boyle. Not Lara Flynn Boyle. What's, what's the other Twin Peak called? Uh, or Audrey. Lara Bin Loyal. Audrey Horn. That's the character's oh, yeah, name. Audrey. Yeah, yeah, I know Audrey. Um, Wouldn't know the actress's name. What's the fucking name? I don't know. But she, um, yeah, plays two characters. Whatever. But... <laughs> You gave up on that so hard. <laughs> I can, I can, I can feel myself editing it out as I'm speaking. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, back to the show. Great ending. Great movie. Great time. Good chat. Yeah. R- risky, risky party time. Love it. Yeah. Like you said, it conjures those images of you renting it, sitting around with a bunch of people, people talking over it, shouting, having fun. I kind of miss being able to throw things at the TV. My TV is too expensive to fuck with now. Yeah. <laughs> but my old tube TV that I had when I was a kid, you could like body slam someone into it. You could like hurl things at it and it would just bounce off. It was yeah, awesome. we when I was a kid, we found like an old like CRT TV in in like the, a clearing in the woods near our house. God knows what it <laughs> yeah. was doing there. And we hit it with so many bricks and it took <laughs> so long for it to smash. Yeah, and I used to like fire all my toy guns at the screen and stuff, like throw Action Man at it and shit. Yeah, if I press oh, the really? if I press the remote too hard, my TV falls off the wall. So <laughs> mine is literally made of glass. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's so thin I could like break it over my knee. I'm not going to be fucking throwing anything at it. So if you want to see Sam break his TV over his knee, no. <laughs> <laughs> How many patrons? How many patrons will it take for you to smash a TV over your knee? Uh fuck it. One more. <laughs> one more good one. <laughs> yeah, one more good value Patreon. Patron. Patron. Yep. 
get in there bring it on i'll uh i'll do it for you i i love uh i love that we watched this movie together i really enjoyed uh having it uh, experiencing it and feeling like we were watching it together was great. Yeah. Uh, because it is like a, a watch it with your buds or watch it with some people that you care about type movie. So highly recommend it for that, for sure. If people out there are still getting together and watching movies when this airs, <laughs> despite, you know, the slow capitulation of human existence, then do hatch it. Get some buds together. Do it and, and let us know how much fun you had. Yeah, absolutely. And then follow us on Instagram at FT Horror Show. Drop us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Sign up to the Patreon and Sam will smash his TV over his knee. <laughs> Can't wait. And we'll Thanks s- for that. And we'll see you next time. Or we'll speak to you next time. You'll hear us next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>